Supply chain is one of the hottest topics in the world right now. And supply chain investing is at a level never before seen. Join me and Jack Freeman from Peakspan Capital as we talk about the ideal supply chain scenarios, companies, even investors, and some of the most important things you can expect from supply chain evolution over the next years. It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. I am Greg White, your supply chain tech advisor with more insights into what you need to know to succeed in supply chain tech startup, growth, investment, and transformation. So let's tip a glass to another enlightening Tequila Sunrise. Startup growth and navigating the investment environment is a complex game. I've been there. I've done it multiple times, and every single time it's new. My guest and I will share his path from startup to the investor seat, what he's learned, what he's still learning, and some new areas that he's getting into, and what founders and tech leaders should know about the supply chain landscape. So by the end of this episode, You'll get insights from someone else who's been there and done it, and someone who's doing mergers and acquisitions today, and who can help decode the language between founders and execs and investors, and help everyone benefit from the challenges, the successes, and the enlightenment that he's seen. So let me introduce our guest, Jack Freeman, principal at Growth Equity Fund, Peakspan Capital. He's in charge of the supply chain practice. He spent his whole career in tech, in mergers and acquisitions, and in growth capital. He's currently advising and and working with and investing in 12 companies, 12 of of Peakspan's portfolio companies. He's an avid cyclist, a marathoner, foolishly, and a semi-retired soccer player. He's leading their practice, as I said, in the supply chain space. And, And full disclosure, he and I work together after he recruited me to be a sector expert for Peakspan. So, Jack, thanks for joining us. Welcome to your very first Tequila Sunrise. Are you ready for the real start of this interview? I am ready. All right. Cheers. Cheers. <sighs> okay. What a start. I think we're ready now. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, great having you. I, I, this was tough to put together. Putting our schedules together has been difficult, so I really appreciate you being flexible. Look, the thing that struck me, I feel like I've known you for longer than I have, but the thing that struck me is how many companies that you're partnered with currently. That's an incredibly exciting challenge. So tell tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and explain also kind of peak spans Peakspan's position in the marketplace, and also a little bit about what growth equity means, just for those that might not know. Absolutely. Um, and, and thanks again. I I think it makes sense if I start with that question. I'm going to start with who Peakspan is, what growth equity is, you know, all that, because um, it, it can get confusing in this landscape where there's just a, a ton of investors. No doubt. I'll then, I'll then back up and give you... Um, my personal background, and I want to weave in a question you asked me ahead of time, which was, 
why supply chain? Why am I passionate about it? And that question in my personal background, you'll see, are very interwoven. Um, and we'll get 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 fun with it. So, Peakspan, we're a growth equity firm, and for anyone who's talked to or heard of venture capital, growth equity, private equity, sounds just like a lot of noise. And yeah, you know, there's a million different ways to invest. The way I would paint the landscape, um, kind of layering on risk appetite and then some strategy. But on one end of the spectrum, you have venture capitalists. Um, the earlier you go, in my mind, the more I don't understand how they do it. You know, <laughs> more yeah. risk, right? Yeah. yeah. Investing in Amazon or Coupa before it had a dollar of revenue, um, you're, yeah, you're a genius. You know, those are your seed stage investors. It's voodoo, a um, lot, lot of risk, a lot of reward. Those are the returns you read about where, you know, uh, Bill Gurley, you know, makes $10 billion on Facebook. So it's the Uber, stuff like that. Right. Um, then on the other end of the spectrum, you have private equity. Those are more established businesses. I would say private equity at the earliest is getting involved, depending on the firm, like 20 million in revenue. Um, and for the most part, profitable businesses. Um, the most traditional private equity firms and the upmarket ones are going to focus on you know, 20 to like a billion in revenue and serious uh, profitability. And the things that private equity folks will do involve using debt to finance a transaction, right. using the profitability to service that debt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, often, you know, bringing in new management, making big holistic changes. Um, we're in the middle and that, that's growth equity. Growth equity are businesses that have real revenue, need capital to grow, um, may one day be a candidate for private equity, may go public, may get back to profitability. You, you don't really know. There, there's a lot of decision-making in the growth stage. I would define growth stage by terms of revenue as about 3 million in revenue to that 20 million mark. When you get through that 20 million mark, you could still be raising from growth equity firms, of course, but um, that's the, the segment that, that we broadly play in. And then within growth equity, I always say we are emerging growth equity. What does that mean? It, it is the stage right past venture capital. So, um, yeah. So if you put an alphabet letter next to it, Jack, what letters would you be? The, the letter is tough nowadays. No kidding. Yeah, it's getting really confusing. Um, I'd say we are looking to partner with bootstrapped or lightly capitalized businesses. So less than 10 to 15 million raised in prior funding is where Peakspan would be a perfect fit. Okay. That could be a series A, it could be a series C if there's just a couple of small rounds and they decide to call them A and B. But um, right. we, we are you know, 15 million raised or less. Once you get to that 15 million raised mark, um, things are going right. You're, you're probably higher in revenue and raising larger and larger rounds and a better fit for a later stage growth firm. Cool. Very cool. And, and you mentioned three to 20. So that's down quite a bit in what seems like relatively few years. But I, as I look back, it's probably in the last 10 years that it used to be for growth equity. It was five to 10 was the minimum. And usually it was really 10. But if somebody wanted to get an early look at you, they would consider you at five. But it sounds like um, investors, and this has been happening for some years, investors have come quite a bit down the revenue scale. 
share with us a little bit why that is? It's a, it's a great topic, and we we can do a whole podcast on, on just we that. could, yeah, <laughs> maybe um, ten seconds. <laughs> ten seconds is fine. So two two reasons I'd call out. One, which I think we may come back to later in the call, just because it's so front of mind for me, and in talking about investing, one is there is too much capital out there and too little high quality companies to invest in. Best example of this, and maybe a second reason is software is eating the world and all investors love software. They love the recurring revenue business model, yeah. the predictability, the innovation, the growth of the sector. For the for those reasons, because there's so many, so much capital out there, so many firms and so few opportunities to invest in software, um, there's this this big supply demand imbalance. The, the latest headline you can Google is Tiger Global, you know, big yeah. Right. Fund that invest in public companies, they're now um, they're the highest volume issuer of term sheets in in 2021. They are um, you know kind of investing like gangbusters at like the four earliest a game. week. I think I heard somebody say something like that, right? I I think I don't know this firsthand. I, I think it's similar to uh, SoftBank's you know yeah. thesis like two years ago, which was more Series D, E, and F. Tiger Global, I suppose their thesis is we want as much exposure to software as possible. We're going to go at the earlier stage and do a higher volume, fund a lot of exciting companies. And I don't know what that risk return model looks like for them, um, but it just shows that there's a lot of capital. Hedge funds are getting down into growth equity now, and uh, uh, and there's a lot of interest. Yeah. yeah. The other reason I would say just for from our perspective in, in software as a service is when you're thematic and when um like let's say looking at a supply chain business, because it's um because there's more data out there and more sophistication around SaaS, um, I always tell entrepreneurs we have a three million dollar ARR minimum. If that's three customers, you're still too early. Right. If that's a hundred customers at you know 10K. A customer, that's a lot of data. You can analyze a lot of retention data, sales efficiency, product market fit, customer references. That could be a pretty mature business. And I think that's part of the reason why at least Pete's band feels comfortable. We previously drew the line at five. Now we draw it at three because there's a lot of interesting businesses that have proven out their go-to-market and business models at that scale. And I think that's an important distinction, Jack, is, you know, Venture capital is, it's highly speculative. Speculative, You know, I work with Kubera VC also, and that's pre-seed, seed, and A round. And then we're done investing at that point. But we're looking for companies that are still looking for, as you said, that product market fit. They don't have it figured out yet, but they're well on their way. By the time they come to growth capital, would you say it's a fair bet to say these companies have it figured out? And now what they need to do is put fuel on the fire to really, really accelerate. Is that? that that's exactly right. I think for us, you need to have you know, exactly half of it figured out. Um, no, no one has it all figured out. But right. um, for, for example, the, the, most common, um, the most common scenario is one where it's very clear that you have high product quality and high customer sat and yep. a great market opportunity, limited competitive dynamic, great team, but maybe the founder and his right or left-hand man or woman are doing all the sales. And you know, we would say, amazing business. 
I think we need to work on a more repeatable sales team and hire a sales ops person and and you know really emphasize like that the founder shouldn't be doing the sales anymore. Yeah. But that still is a great opportunity because you've proven the market, you've proven the product, you, customers love you. And there's just a couple of things to fine tune. And in, in addition to fine tuning it, yes, yeah, the, the gasoline on the fire analogy is a good one in, in the growth stage. Yeah. Or opportunities to capture additional market share or additional markets with uh, expansion of that finely tuned uh, product, right? It's another great way to look at it. There, yeah. You know, there, there's usually um, some sort of thesis on why are you raising growth capital. It could be as simple as we have this go-to-market model. It's baked, and we want to spend more on sales and marketing. I would say a self-serve product. Uh, we invested in a company called Equid, uh, e-commerce platform similar to Shopify, uh, but with an API-centric approach. They don't have an outbound sales team. They're fully inbound, self-onboard, self-serve. And their go-to-market is partly through channel partners, partly through direct. That's an example of a business model where you know, they were spending X on marketing. We came in, didn't, they didn't need a ton of capital because they're very capital efficient, but allowing them to double or triple the marketing budget in the few quarters following our investment just was more of that you probably heard the, the dials and knobs analogy where right. you have you have your business you know dialed in, you can crank up marketing spend and, and increase revenue. That that happens some of the time, but in enterprise software and supply chain, you know that's not the case. It's a lot more complex building a pipeline of enterprise customers and making that predictable. That that's not a necessarily a dials and knobs business versus a strategic sale knowing your ICP and your customer base and intelligently targeting that ICP in a way that's you know, predictable and scalable. So sometimes it's straightforward as marketing dollars and other times it's, it's less straightforward. So I think we've already established, um, we've already established a couple things. And one is that you're way smarter than I am. No, um, so. <laughs> talking. <laughs> Mine or yours? Um, so, <laughs> right, who even remembers? Uh, so I'm really interested in learning about your interest in supply chain. But before we jump into supply chain, let's talk about a couple of other, I think, formative moments for you. Well, one is you, you obviously are invested in currently a dozen companies that, or nearly a dozen, right, that have given you a good flavor for broad spectrum of types of tech. So what is the most fascinating or engaging or interesting or motivating part of investing for you? Great question. Um, I think um, I jotted down some this before this, the three areas I would call out. Um, one is the people. So unlike other categories, consumer like nanotechnology and hardware where you actually to use your example you actually do have to find smart investors who are you know savants and geniuses and know nanotechnology to like back the next chip maker or you know, the next elon um unlike those investments at our stage and in in, in SaaS, um yes the technology is important but we are investing behind people 
people are the biggest risk and also the biggest reward in a growth stage software investment. Um, we're analyzing markets, su- supply and demand drivers, competitive analysis, unit economics. It actually is not, um, it's not rocket science, but what is very difficult is analyzing people and understanding people and who's going to make a good leader and um, who can build a scalable culture. Um, so to your point, uh, worked with 15 partners at Peakspan and the number one learning is how important it is to partner with the right people. You have good, good entrepreneurs, yeah. collaborative founders, and um, th- those things are, can't really be taught. They're, they're more, um, uh, more, more learned through experience. That, that's one I can name. Um, I can name two others. Um, if you want. It's your call, man. What do you, I mean, yeah, cool. I, I'm mostly, <laughs> I, I think, I love the people aspect of it because you get to meet so many um, collections of people that are making great things happen, right? But yeah, tell us what else. Cool. Um, these two are more supply chain centric, so I like these. Um, second also has to do with, pe- actually all three have to do with people, it's great. Second one in terms of people is, um, you know, in, in, the, in the segments that I look at in supply chain and, and procurement is another good one where um, you can have a great technology and a great idea and not go anywhere with it because you have to convince people on the other end of the, the phone to adopt your technology, one, sometimes champion it and like love it so much that they're going to turn around and present it to like 60 people at their enterprise and say, Hey, I'm Jack. Um, spend three hundred thousand dollars on this software and change all of your internal behavior to do right. it this way. Because Greg and Greg's company said that's the right way to do supply chain. Here's like some some slideware, and uh, let's just change the face of what we do using technology because I think it's a great idea. Convincing a human to stick their neck on the line for for your software is like the hardest thing to do. Um, the, the folks that can do that type of strategic selling and um, just helping build champions at enterprises uh, is where you make very valuable companies. Not, and I don't want to belittle product and engineering. You need amazing right. product and engineers to build it. Um, the product needs to be intuitive. People need to love the product, but it's not, um, for example, I'll, I'll compare it to Asana. I'm a power user of Asana. I've used it for eight years. Um, there's no like, enterprise sale, they do do enterprise sales, I guess, but, but mostly it's product-led growth, right? The, yeah. the product is what drives adoption. In a lot of the segments we look at it in supply chain and procurement, the company's ability to, to drive adoption and change management is just as important as the technology itself. Um, that's two. Three is, uh, again, another supply chain one, but just tracing back everything to you know, supply demand dependencies and you know, why something's important. Looking at um, e-commerce logistics technologies. Um, right. Why is that important? Because e-commerce has boomed over the last 12 months and has been really booming for the last few years. And um, just, and we can come back to this theme, but you know, enabling two-day delivery for a brand to compete against Amazon takes, you know, 
a lot of work and a lot yeah. of technology to do that. And because people demand their paper towels in 16 hours time after they press order, because of that need, that human need and expectation, we now have this huge supply chain conundrum that takes a lot of people and companies to help solve. And I love looking for those companies and pointing back to you know, my fiance who needs something in, in 12 hours time. Um, I've seen that, that problem get solved through the tech. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. That, so um, to me, I think so much of that speaks, uh, speaks to people, right? You talked about technology, you talked about how important that is, but people build the technology. They don't build it themselves. And guess who they build it for? They build it for people who are going to use it, right? So um, I think it's, it is a fascinating opportunity to see people. To me, I, I, I think it's a great opportunity to see people do something great, to apply themselves to affecting others in an affirmative way. Um, and, you know, and, you know, so many people say this, you can go to a thousand pitch co competitions anywhere in the world. You don't even have to go to the Valley and they want to change the world, whether they do or they don't, the wanting to is what's, is what's really inspiring as, you know, as much as anything, but yeah, you're right. The, um, you know, the key to this, the key to getting interested in any kind of market is to be excited or at least interested in it. And as you said earlier, supply chain is so complex. It's not like, it's not like Asana. It's not like um, sales, Salesforce. It's not like, you know, it's not like certain things. If, if you can't facilitate that e-commerce and facilitate that last mile delivery and everything in between, it doesn't matter what your brand is. It doesn't matter what your customer experience is because the ultimate customer experience in supply chain is delivering on what you promise. And there's so much that goes into that. And I think even people who regular consumers, you know, put us in our consumer seat, even we understand that as consumers nowadays, having seen what happened with toilet paper, what happened with ever given right in the Suez canal and, all of these other disruptions, the, the situation in Texas, which is still impacting us and will impact us probably for the next two or three quarters. I can't get my house painted, Jack, because polymer production went down just long enough in Texas that there is an incredible paint shortage. So when it starts to hit home, people really realize it. And I think that is the thing to, that makes supply chain so incredibly valuable is that it is, it is the business. It, you know, supply chain is, is your main brand equity delivery vehicle. Delivery, no pun intended, but it really is. And it has to be because the, um, you, have, you have to be able to get the goods to your consumers um, before, you know, before, uh, before you have any any need for brand equity, Coca Cola couldn't have become Coca Cola without being able to deliver it. Aggregated. Um, so one, and these are on purpose, tried to pick embarrassing examples. The first three hours of my morning, I have every single object that I use laid out in a very specific spot, so I don't have to think. Clothes, toothbrush, 
water I'm going to drink. It's all like laid out so that I don't waste any time moving throughout my day. I don't have a dresser. I have shelves because a dresser would be inefficient. You'd have to open the dresser every time you want to, to get clothes. So obviously I, I'm not a dresser guy. Um, looks very much like a factory in, in my closet. Um, <laughs> physical retail. Like if you, if by choice, if, if I didn't go like to the store with my fiance to like have fun, like for her, if you asked me, like I would order everything online. No, no thank you on physical retail. Um, my video is going to freeze. I'm sorry about that. Oh, um, I got you back. Um, I have pretty much the do same the physical retail as- part again. We'll, we'll cut that and just do the physical yeah. retail party. If, if it keeps freezing, I don't know. Um, this has happened before. I guess we'll cut all this. I can go to my phone, but that would suck if it keeps freezing. Um, uh, physical retail. Uh, if it was up to me, I would not do anything in physical retail. Everything could be ordered online. The time to and from Target is an absolute waste of time. <laughs> right? Absolute waste of time. I could be doing better things. <laughs> you are a though. natural, Jack. <laughs> You are a natural <laughs> supply chain. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just getting started. Um, <laughs> I eat the same breakfast every day. So similar to like the Zuckerberg thing with his t-shirt, like waste of time to pick out a t-shirt, waste of time to think about what you want to eat for breakfast, peanut butter, toast, and fruit every single day. I have a bike and I, you, you, you called out, I think earlier that I said I like cycling. I do that for a few charities, but if you gave me the choice, I would run versus bike mm. any day of the week because you can run three miles. It takes 20 minutes for, for me or you know, 30 minutes, whatever. Um, and get the same workout as an hour long bike ride in terms of just expenditure. So right. uh, the, the quicker, the better. Um, I listen to my podcast while I brush my teeth. Uh, <laughs> this is the best show ever. This, um, is the, this is the absolute best. Love it. Thank you. Um, so, uh, and the, the last one is a little, is even a little more crazy. Uh, I don't, I haven't been sick in like four years. Whatever I do with my like health, I don't get sick because going down like for, for three days, as anyone knows, is like a waste of time. Like if you go down for three days, like that's the most inefficient three days of your year. So I, I don't get sick. And I'm probably going to jinx myself based on that comment. <laughs> so suffice to say, I live my every minute of my life as one big supply chain optimization problem. Um, the last thing I'll say with, with supply chain, um, which is more near term and maybe less weird. Um, when I was in, in college, I did my senior thesis on what I titled combinatorial optimization, which anyone who actually is smart knows what that means to supply chain. Essentially, I took our sports schedule and optimized it for the the commissioner. So you have football, field hockey, women's soccer, men's soccer, um, maybe volleyball. We're like the five main sports in the fall. Uh, 12 teams in the conference. Everyone plays 10 games, five home, five away. You have to swap home and away with the team that you play every year. You have to minimize the amount of classes that you, you make students miss. Right. You have to minimize fuel costs and, and hotels. So you have to maybe go play Colby and Bates up in Maine in the same weekend. Um, you don't want to be going from like Hamilton to Williams in the same weekend because that's a 12 hour drive. All of those variables. What fascinates me about supply chain 
And what I learned at that moment is that um, there is no such thing as an optimize, a fully optimized schedule. Right. Um, the MLB is the best example in a more pronounced way because there's you know, 82 games, whatever amount of teams, uh, TV slots. Um, as compute power increases, our ability to optimize those equations will increase, but we will never, there's no limit. If, you, if computer power keeps increasing, we'll keep finding ways to, to better optimize those scenarios. So that's my weird rant on supply chain optimization. So I hope this makes you feel better, but a lot of those things are, are my traits as well. Always eat the same thing at, and anyone who's ever worked with me um, can embarrassingly quote some of these things. Always went to lunch at 1130 because I don't want to wait. It, you know, if I went out to lunch, always went to lunch at 1130 because I don't want to wait. Right. I don't want to waiting in line is a waste of time. Um, I eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. I have my, I do use drawers. I have to confess or doors <laughs> on my shelves. And I do select my t-shirt each day, but every single day I'm conscious of the amount of time that I'm wasting selecting the t-shirt. And sometimes I give up and just go Harley t-shirt today, whatever I've got. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's not as odd as you think, and it, you will be welcome and you will probably find more people in the supply chain industry who are like that than maybe even in accounting uh, or, <laughs> you know, or other industries where you'd expect that. Um, um, I'm thinking there's going to be some support group that comes out of this. <laughs> maybe so. And I hope it includes tequila. Um, that's see, that's why the tequila. Exactly. So my, my question to you then immediately, Jack, is if if you have all this structure in your day and your schedule and your methodology, how do you deal with disruption? Because that's the core element of supply chain that eliminates any possibility that a supply chain will be fully optimized ever. So how do you deal with disruption? It's a great question. I'll give you a an unhelpful answer to supply chain and then and then a, and a helpful answer. Um, the unhelpful answer is, is uh, I think I started at the beginning of COVID, but I started to do meditation. Just, you know, uh, people can hopefully connect the dots, but just uh, being able to like calm down really quick is like a tool to deal with anything, anxiety, frustration. Yeah. So, and it's so hard. I, I, if anyone is starting meditation for the first time, it is like try counting to 10 without thinking about a purple dinosaur. Anything. It, it's yeah. impossible. I promise yeah. you, you'll think of a purple dinosaur the first time you do it. Um, that, that is number one. Uh, the real answer, I think, and I'm, I didn't even think about this as applied to supply chain, but as soon as disruption happens, you know, presence of mind, recalibrate, figure out in, in the new world that you live in, when you've been disrupted, what's the best course going forward? There, there's new, immediately, there's new parameters, new variables, new goals, and you start, you level set, you start from square one and, and, and move on. So I've, I've contemplated this sort of list of things that, that, um, that 
I think I guess they they would apply to life having you having relayed that uh, that I hadn't thought about for supply chain. So it's predict and preempt, plan, it's monitor, respond, adapt, learn, rinse and repeat. And that I mean, if you think about that, I hadn't thought about that. That's pretty applicable to life. Think about what you know. One of the key things, and this is again not to be too much about me, but this this is one thing that I think makes someone naturally a supply chain professional is you think about what could go wrong and you try really hard to prevent or preempt it, right? You think about what could go wrong in your morning and and upend your ability to get everything you want to get done efficiently. So you put your toothbrush in the same place. You eat the same thing for breakfast. It's not dissimilar with supply chain, except that for every single one of those things, you have to have a, you have to have an a disruptive alternative, right? What if the cat jumps on the counter and knocks my toothbrush on the on the floor? What do I do then? Do I have a backup toothbrush? Do I have like hydrogen peroxide on the counter like I do to clean it if it gets on the floor? You know what? Because that, that that anyway, what you'll find is supply chain is your support group because they think very much like that. So you are a natural. So I have to I have to ask this: Did you discover that and then get into supply chain? Did you get into supply chain and then discover the alignment there, or, or how did that happen? Yeah, it was the the latter, which okay. I can't explain. Um, I. You know, to to trace my my career, I worked in the I worked at a startup. Um, I think we're going to talk about that. Yeah. I worked at an investment bank for a few years and learned about M and A and capital raising and finance. Um, I then, through that, discovered a passion for working on transactions in a certain stage. So, hmm. you know, after investment banking, I could have done private equity or venture capital or growth stage. So. Through, through investment banking, realized partnering with a CEO and a management team when they're 30 employees is like the most kick-ass and exciting time to partner with someone. Um, yeah. So that led me to growth equity. Software had always been an interest, but did not have aspirations to be a supply chain software investor until joining Peakspan. Um, and the way we kind of start is you start a little bit more generalist. So if you look at the companies that I work with, companies in customer experience management, sales technology, marketing technology, um, uh, hospitality, um, and th- through all of that, and, and supply chain, of course, very quickly gravitated towards supply chain, probably for the reasons that you're, you're nodding your head, of course, you idiot. Um, listen, listen <laughs> well, to <yourself. laughs> I wasn't thinking that, but it, I'm yeah. glad that it happened. Yeah, Same. for sure. Yeah. Um, one, one actually real example, the maybe fourth or fifth partnership that I formed was with a company called Zingle. This goes to your lunch comment. So Zingle is not a supply chain company, but uh, Zingle's use case is one that I started to do like kind of before they were around, which is they, par- they partner with a lot of location-based businesses, parking garages, delis, restaurants, oh, yeah. golf courses, and they do business texting. So the, they, they quite literally have a customer who's around the corner from my hometown, uh, a, a bagel store, and they allow the customer to text, I want a bagel and a coffee so that they can come in 
and it's ready, you know, to waste five minutes yeah. sitting in line and, and paying for it and all that. So um, I'd been doing that since I was for since, since I had a phone, I realized, you know, yeah, I can call the deli and say, Hey, can I, can I order this sandwich over the phone? They're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Order the sandwich. It's waiting for you when you arrive, pick it up and, and save like five minutes waiting in the store. That's what Zingle enabled and stuff like that really like perked my interest right away. And that kind of was a stepping stone. And you're, you're from New York originally? Uh, New Jersey. Okay. So, but still deli country. So uh, being prepared, and I'm not sure that the whole world is aware of this, but being prepared when you walk into a deli, especially in New, New York and New Jersey, absolute necessity because the places, I mean, all the places I ever went in New York, they were always packed, always in a hurry, always maybe a little bit short, Kurt with you. And uh, man, having that to avoid all of that risk is also a huge benefit, isn't it? You just walk in, grab the bag and the cup and walk out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. If you've ever walked into a, a bagel shop uh, at rush hour, I've, I've actually, I worked at one when I was, um, when I was uh, in high school, um, it is it's chaos and like having that assembly line and pulling you know, the paper to, to wrap the bagel in and scooping the cream cheese. And it, it's like a show. Um, yeah. So it is. Yeah. I'm thinking of my favorite bagel shop here in Atlanta now, as, as a matter of fact, um, all run by New Yorkers, of course. So they already had the incredibly efficient process in place and it is bulletproof process and you better not try to mess it up either. So That's the first half of our interview with Jack Freeman from Peakspan Capital. Join us next week when we wrap up and you're going to get to learn a lot more about Jack and combinatorial analytics. Maybe even something more interesting. How can I help you improve your shot at supply chain tech success? Four ways. One, subscribe to Tequila Sunrise wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you're notified of my new episode every week. Two, follow me on LinkedIn and see my supply chain summaries every weekday. Three, if you're a startup founder or growth stage leader and you need an active advisor to propel you through your supply chain tech journey, I'm currently considering select strategic advisory roles. Or four, if you need an incubator or investment for your supply chain tech, reach out to me on LinkedIn and let's talk.